Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Pastor's job, and he does a great job. So let's give it up for the finest pastor in the city of Fort Worth. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, guys. Hey, let's jump into God's Word. Get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. I want you to follow along with me. I think follow along in this Bible is an important thing. I love God's Word, and I love the Christmas season. You know, one of the very first scriptures that I memorized uh, was for a Christmas program. I was about five, maybe six years old, and my parents and my brothers had drilled it into my head over and over and over. You see, the church had assigned me a little uh, a little scripture to read, and I'll never forget it. There, they had uh, taken, I guess, a sheet of paper that had the scriptures on it, and they cut it out. So I got this little cutout of a scripture, and I took it home, and 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 I was barely learning how to read at the time, and I had to. to I, I knew that in a few weeks I was going to stand in front of the congregation, and this is going to be a big moment for me, and I was going to get to quote one, uh, one of these scriptures here, along with some of my other friends, and, and I remember my brothers putting pressure on me, saying, saying, you know, there'll be some kids up there that won't know yours, but know their scripture, but you had better know yours, you know, and so, so I, I, I said, okay, I'll do my very best. I said, no, you're a Woody, and you have to do this, and so it's, it's kind of like that brotherly pressure based upon the family name. So, so I, I did everything I could do. I still have memories of being, of just being drilled and drilled and drilled on this, which in today's world will take me like, you know, just a few minutes to memorize it. But back then it was tough, you know? So I had memorized Matthew chapter number uh, one, verse 12, which says, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And uh, so, so if you ever hear shout and shouts a lot, you know a person definitely knows the King James Bible, and that was the Bible that we used at that time. And, and I, I, lo- I love that. In fact, next Sunday, some of our children, they're going to be standing up here, and they're going to be quoting scriptures, and that's part of what we do with our family Christmas communion service. And, uh, and, it's, and, I know so, and we're going to let some of our elementary children stay in here with their, their parents, and, and I'm going to share a, a brief message. It's, it's going to be a good day. I really look forward to it. But... Uh, but that first scripture that I memorized was really important because they said, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus. I mean, so <laughs> what's so special about the name of Jesus? I mean, the angel was really insistent telling Joseph he's going to have to be named Jesus. In fact, before, before uh, he was even con- conceived, uh, the angel told Mary that you are to call his name Jesus. So, What's in a name? What's in a name? Well, that's actually the title of today's message. What's in a name? I read William Shakespeare, uh, and, I, and I read his, I don't read him anymore. I, I used to have to be forced to read him. Some of you probably just may, may like read William Shakespeare for fun. I, I, I never found it fun. But I had, to read Roman, uh, I had to read Romeo and Juliet, which was William Shakespeare's, uh, one of his more popular plays, and I had to read it in my ninth grade British literature class. Any of you who were who are good Texans, you know that you, there are certain classes you take at certain ages, and yeah, I, I took it at Vernon Junior High School in Harlingen, Texas, and I'll tell you what, it was pure torture for a 14-year-old boy to have to read that, 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 that play. Every, it was, it's funny because like some of the girls in the class were really excited about it, and I could not pick up on the excitement at all. In fact, still to this day, I'm like, okay, that's, that's an interesting story. It's kind of like the old Hallmark Channel or something like that. It's, it's just a little, little weird. But, uh, but just, just, to, just to help you remember, because I think just about everyone in here has had to read it at one point or another, uh, it's about forbidden love. It's about uh, the Montagues and the Capulets. And, and there was a, there was a 
there was a guy and there was a girl. There were young, you know, young guy, young girl, and and they had these names that were I did that identified them as part of uh, a family feud. See, the Capulets and the Montagues didn't get along at all. They hadn't gotten along for for decades, probably centuries. It's, it's kind of like the the Hatfields and the McCoys here in the United States. It's it was these feuding families that didn't like each other, and in the middle of this. Juliet, she says these words, which I remember being tested on. And, and I'm glad I got, I'm, I'm sure I got that one part right, that part right on my test. But, uh, but it, her line was this, what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name would smell so sweet? And of course, still to this day, I'm like, okay, what did she just say? What, what, what wait, what? This is, this is poetry. I don't get it. I had to think really, really hard on that. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what she said. What Juliet was saying is names are not all that important. But at the same time, I've got to say that names are serious business. Uh, that's why parents will spend months considering what the name is going to be for this child that will be brought into the world. And, and, and uh, you know, they'll, they'll, use, they'll use name books and they'll look at stuff on the internet and they, they may consider family, family legacy with the name. They might consider the meaning of the name or the sound of how it flows, you know. Uh, I, 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 it's, some people just are going to name people based upon a, possibly a destiny that has to do with that name. And I don't know, some people just may name their kid Destiny because they, that's what they want for them. It's destiny and that's fine. Today, there's a lot of really interesting names you know, for, for kids, that, like name them after cars like Audi and stuff like that. I, I still can't figure that out. But that's okay. If you name your kid Audi or Honda, that's, that's fine. Just don't name your kid Ford because that one's already been taken. But, but, uh, but the scriptures also speak of the importance of a good name. And, and you don't want your name to be marred because you have to carry that name with you, you know, through your life. And you don't want it to affect your family and your siblings, your children, or your spouse. In fact, the names in the Bible have very deep spiritual meaning. And the most significant name that's in the Bible, in fact, the most significant name of all time is one name, five letters, and it is Jesus. Jesus, that name was assigned to a specific baby who was literally the son of God, the Messiah, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, and this child was going to grow into a man. He was going to live a sinless life, and then he was going to offer himself as a sacrifice so that not one person in this world would have to die or perish, but that everyone could have eternal life. Now, that's serious business. That's the name of Jesus. And this series that I'm in right now, which I'm going to continue through the end of the year, is called The King Who Changes Everything. But uh, let's identify that. Jesus is the king who changes everything. He changes everything. And this is the season where we recognize his name. In fact, it's, I know there are a lot of feelings of people saying, well, we, there's, there are too much, there's too much singing about Christmas, and there are too many lights at Christmas, and I don't care about that. I don't, I don't, I don't care about those, those arguments, because every light that twinkles reminds me of the light that shone over the stable, and every time I hear a song, Silent Night, Holy Night, or, or I hear these songs of the, how, how hark the herald angels sing, we're, we're, we're singing about Jesus, and I love that. I absolutely love that, and it's a season where we actually function at a different pace. A lot of people will do some travel, and, and there are a lot of parties, and there are events, and there are activities, and there's the, the giving of gifts, and, and, and special holiday meals, and those types of things. And that's, that's all part of the big celebration. But we do this to celebrate Jesus, who is the Messiah. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's take a look at how all of this got started. So look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we're going to read through this passage in the New International Version, and in the middle of of it, just to let you know, tucked into the middle of it is that scripture that I memorized when I was like five or six years old, except we're not going to do it from the King James Version. We're going to do it from the New International Version. So here we go, Matthew 1, 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pause there for just a second. 
That's not a terminology that we use anymore. Uh, but uh, but a, when a person was pledged to be married to someone else, that, that, that's kind of like an engagement on steroids, okay? That, that meant they were already committed. And, uh, and since they were, they, they were already committed to each other, then... You know, if if they're going to end this relationship, there actually has to be a divorce. So there was a there was a strong commitment. The only thing was is that at this point they had not yet consummated the marriage, so there was no sex involved in it. In other words, there there it was it was uh, simply the agreement that we are going to be married, and so he was pledged to be married. So let's look at that. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, and y'all know what that means, right? That didn't mean before they had lunch. Okay, right? Okay, good. Okay. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So what God had done is God, the Father, had had miraculously impregnated her. And so she has this, literally the Son of God in her womb. Okay? So now you have to understand she is pledged to be married to this guy. And all of a sudden the guy finds out that she's pregnant. And for most guys, that would be a problem. Uh, that, that would be a little bit of an issue. It's like, hey, we're getting ready to get married, and all of a sudden, you're pregnant. So uh, how, how did this happen? Oh, it was God. Okay, right, right. I'm sure Mary's like, yeah, it was God. It was God. It's like, okay, right, 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 right. Well, let's take a look at this. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, so he was, he was very serious about his faith and, and, and the scriptures, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he didn't want to, want to make, it, make her have any shame, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, God says, I'm going to have to get involved in this because I don't want them getting divorced here. So after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the name of Jesus was actually decided by God and communicated through the angel, which I believe to be uh, Gabriel. Now, now back in that time, the tradition was, is you didn't name the child just uh, like when the child pops out, like, hey, there's Billy Bob. No, the, you, the, you waited a period of time. So on the eighth day, what would happen is as a boy would be taken to the synagogue or to the temple, whatever they had there in the area, he would be taken there to be circumcised by one of the rabbis. And that's actually still a practice that goes on today in synagogues all over the place. On that eighth day, that's when they give the name of the child. So uh, we do see this in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. So Joseph, the father, would have said that, the, angel, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. But interestingly enough, throughout the Bible, there are a lot of other descriptive names and titles and terms associated with Jesus. And, and as, as I began preparing for this message, I mean, God dropped it in my heart a while back, probably about four months ago. So I preach on the name of Jesus. And so, so I, 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 I was preparing this message, but one of the things I wanted to do is I was like, well, let's just look. And I know there are a lot of different names for Jesus or names for God that are all through the Bible. And I started looking and there were so many, I mean, just like untold, just, just, just a huge number of, of names and titles. I mean, you know, I've really got to narrow this down. So what are some of the titles or what are some of the names that were given to Jesus in the Christmas story? So I, I kind of narrowed it down to that. Uh, but, but really these, these different identities are these terms, they are not actually legitimate names 
for Jesus. They are descriptive terms. They're descriptions of him. And they use some specific terminology that was unique to that culture so that the culture would embrace it and would understand and say, okay, so that's what this guy is. That's who he is. And, and we really find several of them. And I, I want to go through a few of them that are from the Christmas story itself because I think these are significant because these are the descriptions that came in at the beginning. One of them is Savior, Savior. Now, I'm going to share with you a little bit about what that meant. The term Savior means one who saves from evil. It also means an emperor. Now, we call Jesus Savior a lot. In fact, you're going to hear a lot of these terms. You probably hear them all the time in church, in your own life. You see them in the Bible. We sing these terms. We sang it just a few minutes ago. Oh, what a Savior. We're singing about this description of Jesus. But, but in its common vernacular, back then, when Jesus was called Savior, and that was the first time he was called that, uh, the, what this meant 2,000 years ago was very, very unique. You see, words change over time. So when you hear the word Savior today, we think of Jesus. But when you heard the word Savior back then, people didn't think of Jesus. Uh, that just meant that one who saves from evil. Uh, this is actually a name that, or a title that people gave to various emperors. They would call emperors Savior. Uh, because what an emperor did is they would protect the people of the land. They had an obligation to protect the people of their land from enemies, from famine, from thieves, and from early death. And so what the angels did is when they declared to the shepherds that he was the Savior, that the Savior had been born, in their ears, what they heard was the one who saves from evil is born. The emperor is born. So that's what they were hearing. We hear it different today, but that's actually what they were hearing because they had no association with Jesus. They didn't even know his name, the shepherds. So, so this new emperor had been born that was going to save the world from evil. And I love that because Jesus even does what the emperors, the, the human emperors could never do because Jesus truly saves us from Satan. He truly saves us from sickness. He saves us from sin. He saves us from death. So Savior, it's, it's an appropriate name. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's not really a name, but it's more of a title. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's take a, take a look at another one. I wanted to educate you here just a little bit on some of these things. The second one that, I'm, that was uttered during the, uh, during the time of the birth of Jesus was Son of God. Now, what did Son of God mean? Well, when people heard the terminology Son of God in those days, basically here's what they thought of. Like that, that means a divine offspring. That means the, that means the Son of a God. So in that, at that time, they were thinking of Hercules and Julius. Actually, it wasn't Julius Caesar. That's, a, that's, that's written in there incorrectly. I had to change that. This actually would have been a Caesar Augustus. But Son of God, Son of God was a common terminology in those days. The title referred to, uh, you know, what, what the Greeks and the Romans would have thought of as, as people like Hercules, because Hercules lived such a perfect life, supposedly. He was so good and moral that the gods received him and called him the son of God. He was the first of the son of God. Uh, Julius Caesar, and at his time, he was the one who was the first one to actually be called God in his, in his place uh, as, as the ruler of all of Rome. Julius Caesar, he was declared by this, this title, God manifest the savior of all mankind. Isn't that interesting? Julius Caesar, the emperor, was called savior. That kind of goes back to that first one. So you see how common these words were at that time. But Julius Caesar was known as God manifest the savior of all mankind. Now, now, a couple of years before he died, he was actually called Divine Julius. So then he adopted his son, and his son became the next emperor. So what is his son going to be called? Well, Caesar Augustus is called, was known as the son of the divine, also known as the son of God. And Caesar Augustus was the Roman Empire, Roman emperor at the time of the birth of Christ. So who was the son of God? Well, and everybody knew the son of God is Caesar Augustus. 
So when the angel declared to Mary that, that, uh, that, that Jesus was going to be the son of God, please understand that was the son of the one true God, our sweet Jesus. And there is no other God but our God. And there is no God but Jesus. So the name son of God, yeah, it's, it's a title and it's, 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 it's attached to a name. But when we say Jesus, son of God, it all makes sense. That's who Jesus really is. Now, in the passage that we just read just a few moments ago, the angel told Joseph that he would also be called or be known as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is actually a very simple one because this was Hebrew terminology. This was, this was not a word that was used in the Greek and Roman culture at the time, specific just to the Jewish people. But Emmanuel was a, was a, still is a Hebrew word, which means God with us. It means that God came to dwell with us. He's right here with us. <laughs> what I love about this is that now today through the, through the Holy Spirit, God is not just with us, but God is in us. Isn't that beautiful? God is in us. But it must have been awesome for Mary and for Joseph to realize that God was with them. Emmanuel. So Emmanuel is not actually a name, but it's more of a title. That's why it says people will call him Emmanuel. Now, here's another one. This is another one that is used very, very, and the, the next two are just very, very common. The next one is Christ. You've heard about that, right? We, we say Christ all the time. And Christ is, is actually comes from the Greek term Christos, which is, that's, that's where we get it from in the New Testament, the Greek term Christos, which is really a translation of the Hebrew word, which is Messiah. It means the anointed one of God. That's what Christ means. And it's very, very common today. Uh, this, is, this is the one that the people of Israel were looking, looking forward to. The Jews actually are still looking for the Messiah today. They're not going to call him the Christ because they don't use a Greek terms. That is actually a Greek term. They're, they're not looking for that. They call him, they're looking for the Messiah, Christ. It all means the same thing. So when Jesus arrived bearing the title of Messiah or Christ, what that means is now the anointed one of God, now we have holy leadership among us. And a lot of times people today uh, a lot of times people won't even use the name of Jesus in today's culture. And I think that's a little, that, that's, that's, that's something that we should be careful of. A lot of times people won't use the name of Jesus, but they'll say Christ. I'll hear some people say, and I'm going to pray in Christ's name. Well, what is Christ's name? What is his name? Jesus. So just say the name. Just say the name. I remember the one, one time when, uh, when I was in Missouri, I was pastoring up there and I had gotten to... Uh, I'd come into contact with the mayor, and the mayor sat down with me one day. He just said, hey, Tim, we have, a, we have a, a history, we have a legacy here in this town that we do not open our city council meetings with prayer. We never have. I said, okay, wow, wow that's, that's an interesting legacy if that's something you want to live by. But he said, now, please understand, I'm atheist, and I, I'm, I, I'm not into God at all. But he said, one thing I know is I, he says, I, I don't want some of these Muslims coming in here and trying to pray to the Muslim God. And so I, and as I'm just listening to him, just like, okay, whatever. He says, so have you ever, do you know how to pray? I'm like, well, I think it comes with the job. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess. And so, well, he said, would you please come and pray before our city council meeting. And in fact, I want you to set it up because there were council meetings every other week. I want you to set it up with my assistant where you have set up somebody to come pray, a Christian. He said, they better be Christians. <laughs> and this is if I'm an atheist. I'm still sitting here going, huh, what, what? And he said, I want you guys to come and pray at the beginning of our city council meetings. So I set this up, and for the, for the years that I pastored there, I had worked on it, and our church actually set it up. So we would have uh, Christian pastors and Christians, Christ, uh, Christmas, not Christmas, but Christian business leaders come and, and offer these, these invocations at the beginning of, uh, of the city council meetings. And it was, it was awesome. But I thought, well, if we're going to do this, I want to be the first one to do it to kind of get the feel for it so I can give some instructions to everyone else. And, and I, I got up there and, and, uh, and, and, and I was ready to go. The, uh, the mayor introduced me. He says, all right. He, he, was, a, he was a rough fellow. He goes, all right, well, I just want to let you know that we're going to break a tradition. Everybody in there is quiet at that moment. 
He says, we've never in the history of this city since 1845 have we ever had a prayer opening a city council meeting, but today that's going to change. So, I mean, he's kind of barking at everybody. <laughs> like, well, thanks for the intro, Mayor. And, and he introduces me, says, come on up. Uh, this is Tim Woody. And he told me, you know, this is the pastor, at the church I pastored. Like, they all pretty much knew me because I was on television around there. So, so I walk up there to the lectern and I said, all right, let's, let's pray. And so at the very end, I prayed in Jesus' name. I mean, I'm not afraid of his name. I just, I'm not going to say in the name of the son or the name of a, a God or the name of, uh, you know, even the son of God. I mean, that could mean Julius Caesar. I, I mean, Caesar Augustus. I, what does all that mean? I didn't even say Christ. I did in the name of Jesus. Actually, I did put Christ after that, which means Jesus the Messiah. I, I said in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You could have heard a pin drop. Now, here, here's the truth. Now, tomorrow, actually, uh, Tuesday morning, I'm going to be doing an invocation for uh, Tarrant County. And when I do the, the invitation for the Tarrant County meetings, I, it's like it, every time like, people will say, amen, and they'll applaud and they'll cheer. I mean, that's a difference between Fort Worth and where I was in St. Joseph, Missouri. And, uh, and as soon as I finished, it could have heard a pin drop. I walked back to my seat. The mayor said, thank you very much. And then this woman turned around and scowled at me, and she said, we don't use that name around here. You're going to get yourself in some trouble. I looked at the lady and I said, bring it on. <laughs> I just walked out of there. That, that was really interesting. But, but I believe in using the name of Jesus. But, so Christ means, it just means Messiah. All right. Here's another very, very common one. This one may even shock you. And this is, the, in fact, I'll tell you, I did not even know this until I know the depth of this, I guess you could say, until I prepared for this message. And that is the term Lord. Let's take a look at that. Now, I'll have to tell you right up front, right up front, Lord in today's Bible, the Bibles that we read today in the English language, that term is used six 1,670 times in the Bible from beginning to end. Now, the word Lord is used as a translation for 13 different words throughout the Bible. One in Aramaic, uh, three in Greek, and nine in Hebrew. So 13 different words, yeah, kind of put them in a blender and, and, and put puree on it, and you pop out the name Lord. I mean, that's basically it. I'm not trying to demean it at all, but that's really what it is. So the name Lord actually has a lot of dependence upon the context or the original word. And why did they do this? Why did they do this? Why did the translators do this? Well, it was to simplify things. So let me explain this to you. The word Lord does not actually appear in the ancient languages that the Bible was written in. It doesn't. It did not really appear until the English versions of the Bible were written. So in this very unique case, it's like you've got to go back to what did Lord mean around the 16th century? 15th century, really, in the 15th century when it was first introduced, when, uh, when, when the Geneva Bible came out. And, and so we don't, actually, the thing is, we also don't even really use this term very much today. I, I was trying to think in our own language, we use the term, we don't use the term Lord, we use the term like landlord. Well, that's, that's, well, that's the person that collects your money and you better, you better pay up or else you're going to get evicted. And I'm like, well, that really doesn't fit God. And then there's drug Lord. Well, that, no, no, that does not, that does not fit. I couldn't think of any other ways that the word Lord is used in today's culture. So it's really a really unique word. And, uh, in all honesty, in today's English, the term Lord is very ambiguous. Yet at the same time, we've adopted it. I accept it, and we use it all the time. I mean, if I were to shout, Jesus is Lord, you guys would say, amen, right? Let's try, let's try that. Jesus is Lord. Amen. See, yeah, robust amen. I like that. I like hearing the men saying, amen. Yeah. So, but so you know what it means, but what does it mean? <laughs> Well, again, the translators, especially when you go back to the Geneva Bible, which is a wonderful Bible. It was the first widely spread English version of the Bible. It was the Bible that was brought over by the pilgrims uh, to this land. That's where we first start seeing the word Lord appear. So they had translated many words into Lord in the New and the Old Testament. So, again, what did it mean? Well, <laughs> it actually comes from the Old English term, lafward. 
Now, hlaf, H-L-A-F, that's now, that's our word for loaf. So it means bread. It, so, so it means food. And ward, W-E-A-R-D, pronounced ward, that is the word for, of course, ward, which means keeping. So a leader was often known as the keeper of the bread. So this was a person, a lord, who made sure that the food was distributed uh, equally, wisely, so that, so that people wouldn't die. And in tough times, they, they, there was always going to be food. So that, but the name evolved over time and finally just became instead of, known instead of Lafward, it just became known as Lord. And then that word was chosen Oh, about 600, five, 600 years ago, that word was chosen then as an appropriate translation for all of these other words in the Bible, all these other identities of God. And it's not inappropriate. It, it, is, it is very appropriate. But uh, there is no direct translation back to the original language, which makes this one of the most unique words that's found throughout the Bible. And, and I bring it up because uh, I, I, I like the fact that it stuck. And I like the fact that this has a rich history, this word, because when the translators put it into the Bible, this is what they were thinking of. It's a ruler who's the keeper of the bread. They distributed it. And Jesus, the way they saw it and the way I see it and the way we see it, Jesus is the keeper of the bread. He feeds us and our spirit and our soul and our body. And, and, uh, and he is actually the food of our holy communion. So he is not only the keeper of the bread, but he is the bread of life for everyone who believes in him. Next Sunday, we're going to have communion together and we're going to celebrate the fact that he is Lord. So Lord is actually a very good translation as a title for Jesus that actually just happened to stick and we use it today all the time. Now, yet on the other hand, I want you to understand, this is still a title. It's still a title. And you might say, well, I'm going to talk to you about the Lord. Well, I know what you're talking about, but what does that mean to another person? I really believe in using the name of Jesus. See, titles are fine and good. Titles basically are descriptive of, of a person or descriptive of a position that a person holds. Like people will often call me pastor, but that's not who I am. That's not my name. My name is Timothy William Woody. That's the name that was assigned to me at birth, thoughtfully and prayerfully assigned to me by my parents. And so when I sign a legal document, I don't sign it P-A-S-T-O-R. No, I don't, because that doesn't carry the authority of my name. If I sign a check, pastor, it might get sent back to me because like, who's that? Or who that? We don't know who that is. But, but what I do is, and I also don't put a, a bunch of letters that would signify my level of education. Oh, that's fine and all that kind of stuff. But, but who I am is my name. And there's no other title, there's no other description that carries more legal authority than my name itself. Do you understand that? It's my legal authority. So that name, when I match up that name with my ID, that is who I am. They don't care about those other titles. I mean, we all, you know, that helps us to identify people, but, but that's not who we are. We are our individual names. So the titles that Jesus goes by, they are wonderful, and I'm not encouraging you to drop them or quit using them at all. They are positional. They are uh, descriptive, but there is a name that is powerful, and my challenge is to learn to accept and declare and to use the name of Jesus. This church is a church that freely declares the name of Jesus. There will be other churches that may meet across this metroplex today and you can go in and out of there and never hear the name of Jesus mentioned because somebody might get offended. I've been told even pastoring that, well, you use the name of Jesus so much and it kind of offends some people. Well, I can't help that. I can't help the offense. But one thing I do know is that is my Savior. That is my Lord. That is my King. That is my Messiah. That is, He is the Christ. So let's talk about His name because this is the name that has power. The name of Jesus is, is, is actually, 
and we have to simplify this for a second. It's actually a common name, Joshua. It's Yeshua. That is, that is the, the name that Jesus would have been given. So when people were, uh, were, were calling him, they would say Yeshua or Yeshua. They would, they would call that, that name, and, that, and so Jesus would come running. And what does it mean? It just simply means Yahweh will save. Now, this is the same name that is used by other characters in the Old Testament, Joshua. Joshua. So it is a common name. I used to struggle with that as a child when I first learned Latin. I thought, well, well, why was Jesus given a common name? Well, he was given a common name because, because it, it, was, it would be easily ingrained into, into the culture. I mean, that's the name they would call him for dinner. Hey, Joshua. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Yeshua. And so people would use that name back in that culture, back in that time. They would name their child that to bring honor to God because the name means Yahweh will save. And so, so they're, they're like, well, this is a good name for a child, and they would use that. But, but you will see now, this is why quite often the name of Jesus, this is a little teaching element here, the name of Jesus almost all the time when you see it in the, in the New Testament, when someone's talking about Jesus, they will say, Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus the Christ. So they would they identify who he is, which which Yeshua this is. So it is very unique. So that's why we add the titles. That's why we do say many times Jesus Christ. And even in even in our own culture here, here in our own city, there are many people whose names spell are spelled J E S U S. That doesn't mean they're the Messiah. No, they have a last name to go with it. But but what we what we do is we attach. We attach these other titles onto the name of Jesus. That's why we say Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus. But his name, at the same time, it, is, it was a common name, but it is, it's also an almighty name, and it is completely unique because there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. And, and this is the name that was given to him, not just to be an honor to God, but the angels declared it so that when he came, no longer is this name used as a name to honor God, but this name is, is, an, is an announcement that God will save through him, because Yahweh is God. So God will save. God will save. Every time Jesus was called up, here's Jesus. God will save. Here is Jesus the Messiah. Here is Jesus the Son of God. So God will save, and this is the Son of God. Here, look, we have something amazing in our midst. Do you see this? Little children, they, they, they sing this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, and uh, they're, they're just given this this uh, wonderful feeling of closeness to Jesus, and that's the beauty of his name. At the same time, people are at, at the edge of death. They find that the name of Jesus gives them peace. The name of Jesus is the name that they will bow to one day. The name of Jesus is all-powerful. And from the time of Jesus' birth until now, a lot of people have missed and, and they've even dismissed the significance of the name of Jesus. But around here, and as far as I'm concerned, we will not miss it, and we will not dismiss it. You see, his name, uh, when, when his neighbors heard that name, when his name called him that, they just were thinking, well, this is Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. And then even in today's world, Jesus has been taken as a term that expresses anger, that expresses profanity, even in preparing for this message, I just listened to how many times I heard it in the culture, abbreviations of it, or the or the name of Jesus itself used in in a in a very uh, in, in a very vile way. I just want to tell you, don't be doing that. Okay, don't use the name of Jesus to express your anger or your frustration or profanity. I actually believe that to be dangerous because you're you're misusing and you are abusing the name of our most high God. And I need to declare this. There is supernatural authority in the name of Jesus. Supernatural authority. That is, that is an authority that comes, from, uh, that, that, that comes from the throne of God. And I have called on the name of Jesus countless times. And from my personal experience, when I do so, and as I do so, he has given me peace, or he's given me authority, or he's given me healing, or power. He's, he's given me cleansing. He's given me wholeness, or provision, or freedom, or health. 
health. And, and that name of Jesus means things to me. And it means things to you. And it means things in the spirit realm. When we speak his name, things happen. In fact, before Jesus departed from this earth, he said these words in Matthew 28, 18. He said, Jesus, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he declared this to his disciples so that they would understand clearly that Jesus has all authority and, and, and he has authority really over all creation. And he's letting them know that when we use his name, we operate in that same authority. Do you see that? We operate in that authority. See, we are Jesus' ambassadors on this earth. The scriptures tell us that. So like a United States ambassador, they, in all honesty, they do not have authority in their own name. And, and it, they, they go to other nations and, and, uh, and they, they do their work, but they do their work in the name of the president of the United States. So that's what gives them their authority. So, but, but we have greater authority because we are also ambassadors on this earth. And, and so when we declare his name and we attach his name to us, that's why we're called Christians because his name is there with us. And, and at that name of Jesus, at that name of Jesus, unbelievable things happen. And there's going to be a time when everyone Everyone who has been born since the beginning of a creation until the very end is going to kneel before him. And I'm telling you, every president, every vice president, every CEO, every, uh, every prime minister, every dictator, every king, they're going to kneel before him because of his name. Now, that's powerful. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus has such incredible authority. Now it's time that believers, we begin to operate and to engage and to utilize that authority. Get ready to jot these down very quickly. In the name of Jesus, we have supernatural salvation. We are saved from sin, cleansed, washed as if we have never sinned. My friend, the only God can do that. And it only happens through the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Also in the name of Jesus, we have supernatural presence. I'm telling you, God himself is activated through the name of Jesus. We sang it this morning. It was part of the lyrics of one of our songs, but it says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst of them. God is present when we call upon him in the name of Jesus. We have been calling on the name of Jesus since early this morning, since the very first prayer meeting of the day. While some of y'all were still in bed, we were calling on the name of Jesus. Why? It's because it brings his presence here, supernatural presence. At the, at the same time, here's another one. In his name, we are able to offer supernatural prayers. You know, there are a lot of prayers that are offered up in this world, prayers to to uh, you know, prayers to demons, prayers to idols, prayers to, to public figures. But we are not to do that. We pray to God in the name of Jesus because when we say his name, a barrier comes down and it goes straight to the throne of God. You see, I believe that a prayer that's not offered in the name of Jesus are just words being being tossed out there. John chapter 14, verse 12, uh, 13 says this, I will do, Jesus said this, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, the second time you said it there, and I will do it. Supernatural prayers are available to flow through us using the name of Jesus. Also using the name of Jesus, we engage in, in supernatural warfare supernatural warfare. That means spiritual warfare. Uh, you know, it, it, it is amazing how at the name of Jesus, darkness flees. 
This is something that I even train my children on at a very young age. If there's ever fear or whatever, they begin to use the name of Jesus and, 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 and demons tremble. And, and that is the truth. In fact, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus had sent out a bunch of people to do ministry. And they came back and they said, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. How though? in your name because they were out there doing stuff in the name of Jesus. As, you know, if you have night terrors, you can just begin to declare the name of Jesus, 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 Jesus. But just, just horrible dreams, demonic, uh, demonic spirits, demonic activity in your home. If you're dealing with that, please know that you can declare the name of Jesus in your home and you can cleanse your home of demons, of, of, of all types of evil. And so using the name of Jesus, we engage in the supernatural warfare. Also, through the name of Jesus, we have supernatural provision and security. I love that. Excuse me, protection and security. Supernatural protection, supernatural security that comes to us through the name of Jesus. Sometimes there can be an impending accident or a tragedy or something that's, that, that, that just appears to be horrible. There's something that's, that's kind of out there and you don't know what to do, but you begin to pray in the name of Jesus and God shifts situations around. In fact, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a fort. Do you see that? The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. See, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit also comes to us. Get this, the Holy Spirit, which lives in us, he comes to us not on his own name, but in the name of what? Jesus. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit comes to us in the name of Jesus. So we have supernatural advocacy through the Holy Spirit. An advocate is, is someone who's going to be there to help you, to encourage you, to, to, st to stand by you. The Holy Spirit is that supernatural advocacy, and we get that through the name of Jesus. He comes in the name of Jesus. In fact, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. The Holy Spirit does not stand on his own name. He stands in the name of Jesus. Look at this, John 14, verse 26. It says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. It says, whom the Father will send in my name. The name of Jesus is powerful. Also through the name of Jesus, we have supernatural healing supernatural healing. God heals and works miracles. I've seen it many times. Uh, just very, I, you know, Some of the, the times I've seen some of the greatest evidence of God working through the name of Jesus, of course, is praying in the name of Jesus, but also praying for, uh, for people to be cured of sickness, for people to be healed, and also for demons to go. I'll tell you, if you're, you deal with a demonized person, I've done this many times, you use the name of Jesus and something changes, something shifts. And, and because the name of Jesus is powerful. But let's look at this with supernatural healing. There were, God's people were praying. They came together and they prayed in the book of Acts. And they, here's one of their prayers. He says, God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And there's also the a command to believers. It's a command that we try to give uh, give opportunity for right here in our own gatherings by having elders come to the front and pray for people because the scripture says, is any among you sick? Let them, that means it's your, your job to call on the elders of the church. So you come forward and to call on the elders of the church to pray over them, to pray over you and to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. That is where healing power is released. And I'll, I'll just tell you this. If you are not accustomed to using the name of Jesus outside of a curse word, outside of a word of, of exasperation, if you're not accustomed to using the name of Jesus, integrate his name into your vocabulary and your lifestyle on a daily basis, a daily basis. One of the first things that I want to come off my lips when I wake up in the morning is Jesus, 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 Jesus. First thing, one of the first things I say every day, Jesus. I love you. I need to tell him something. Jesus, Jesus, I want to call on him. Jesus, 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 I need you. Jesus. There's supernatural power in the name of Jesus. And I pray that the conviction of God will be upon every single one of us who's hearing this message today to embrace, to utilize, and engage the power of the name of Jesus Christ, 
our Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, our King of Kings. I want us to use his name in a very unique way right now. And if you're here this morning and you're not in relationship with Jesus, if you're not saved, if you don't know about your eternal destiny, hear me well. There is no other way to engage into the presence of God. There is no other way to go to heaven. There is no way to get eternal life except through the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you the opportunity right now to receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your Messiah to come into your life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed right now, if there are any among us here in this room who need Jesus, you need salvation today, you need presence of the Lord to come in and wash away stubborn sin and to be set free and to have the hope of eternity. What I'd like for you to do is the count of three, just lift your hand for me. The way I can acknowledge you and, and I, I can include you by faith in the prayer that I pray and that we pray together. So if that's you, you need Jesus today. You need your sins forgiven. You need salvation. The count of three, just lift your hand for me. One, two, three. Just lift it up so I can see it real quick. Thanks. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put hands down. If you lifted your hand, please pray these words with me. Church, I want you to pray this as well for uh, as encouragement to others around you. Or even if you didn't even lift your hand, I still want you to pray this prayer and you know you need it. Come on, pray it. Pray it with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your precious blood. Today I make the choice to give up my past and to embrace your future, the future you have prepared for me. I thank you, God, that I am in your hands and that you are my Lord, that you are my Savior, that you are my Messiah. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I love the name of Jesus. I want you guys to stand with me all across this room. I charge you today to utilize and to engage the supernatural power that has been delegated to you through the name of Jesus. You are not weak. You are strong. You are strong in the name of Jesus. You're strong in the name of Jesus. So I'd like for us to sing that song we sang a little bit earlier. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Let's worship the Lord for just a few moments, just using some of these titles that has been given to us. Let's worship Jesus just one more time before we go today. Come on, let's worship. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.